Hello and welcome to the Friday, February 4th, 2022 edition of On Iowa Politics. Support provided by New Pioneer Co-op, celebrating 50 years as Eastern Iowa sourced for locally and responsibly sourced groceries, with stores in Iowa City, Coralville, and Cedar Rapids, and online through Co-op Cart at newpi.coop. Hi, I'm James Lynch of the Cedar Rapids Gazette. With me today are Tom Barton of the Quad City Times. Good morning, Tom. Good morning, James. Amy Rivers of the Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier. Good morning, Amy. Good morning, James. Aaron Murphy, State House Bureau Chief for the Gazette. Good morning, Aaron. Good morning, James. And Gazette Opinion Editor Todd Gorman. Good morning, Todd. Good morning. This week, no-name plates, campaign fundraising, the only sure things, ethanol and tax cuts, and checking in on the kids. First up, Iowa legislators are considering bills that would end the practice of putting county names on license plates. How are we going to entertain the kids on road trips if we can't play license plate bingo? (laughs) I mean, that's a fair question. Bills are advancing in the House and Senate. Auto dealers say it's part of streamlining the titling and registration process. The DOT says generic plates will make it easier to avoid supply chain issues, which I guess is the current excuse du jour for any problem. Uh, It must be Biden's fault that they don't have license plates where they need them. Todd, are are legislators messing with something sacred to Iowans by removing county names from license plates? Well, I have to admit I haven't been following the license plate issue closely, (laughs) mostly because I don't like to tailgate people. I mean, keep a little safe space. But, uh, you know... I guess we've, I don't, I don't know how many states still have counties. I know like Georgia does five. five, five yeah. So, you know, I, I don't know if Iowans care that much. I mean, it's kind of nice when you're out on the road and you, you see, you know, someone from like, you're, you're by Iowa city and you, they're from Sioux County and you think to yourself, wow, they got a long drive. So, I mean, <laughs> that's, I guess there's that. Uh, but otherwise I don't know what impact it would be. I'm sure that's not going to make the license plates cheaper or the licensing cheaper. It's uh, probably going to stay the same, but uh, you know, if, it, if they've got supply problems and this eases that, I suppose it's okay. I, Iowans aren't always big about change. So maybe there will be some people, you know, that, that raise hell, but uh, you know, you saw, and they do care about license plates. I mean, we saw when we had the sort of the voting on license plates that people disliked the one that was chosen so much that now they get, you know, black plates that look cooler on their, you know, big pickup trucks. So. And they do not have county names on them. They don't. That's right. That's what I was going to say is, so you've seen kind of a surge in in the purchase of those. So maybe that's, that's an indication that people don't care. Right. Yeah. One of the legislators pointed out that there are like 62 specialty plates and only about three of them, I think, require the county name uh he said so you know <laughs> we're already moving that direction but uh, yeah they were on they were on a clip for a few years there to add like a new plate every every legislative session or maybe more yeah. it was uh they were there was a it was the big license plate fad down at the state house you know that is <laughs> kind of like, kinda like that it's kind of like that wordle yeah. <laughs> How does it kind of like Wordle? I'm, I'm so curious. <laughs> well, it's letters and <laughs> it was popular, and they were obsessed with it. So, <laughs> oh. uh, Tom, you're in a, one of Iowa's border communities. Uh, 
does anyone care that the Illinois cars don't have county identification? Uh, you know, and, and if we take the license plate or the county names off license plates, will you feel better slipping across the, the bridge to Illinois to buy some edibles? <laughs> abs, abs, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't yes. bother him either way. No, 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 no. I mean, like, yeah, like, like Todd said, I, I don't think anybody, you know, really cares. And, um, you know, as he mentions, um, you know, a lot more people are buying the, the black specialty plates that don't have the, the county name on them. So, yeah, I don't think anybody, you know, really in our area cares a whole lot, um, except, you know, hopefully it will make it a little bit easier to sleep on over to Illinois, and, you know, pick up some of those edibles. <laughs> but Amy, what about tradition? <laughs> what about tradition? We've had this plate since uh, 1979. Um, before that, we actually had county codes. So your county had like a little number and they wrote the code on the plate. And actually, they kept doing that even after they started putting um, the name of the county on there for a few years and then finally got rid of that in the 90s. But yeah, I mean... We've had so many plates over the years going all the way back to, you know, cars being invented. And, and yeah, it's just it's it's fun. People collect them. So like having a plate go out of like existence will just like make this plate even more collectible. So hang on to them and eBay them, kids, because you'll be able to make some money in the future. Good point. Good point. My, my license plate will become more valuable. That's right. Um, it, it, it's interesting that um, part, part of the what's you know, behind this is the electronic titling. And um, if you buy a car in, in Lynn County, you can get it titled in contiguous counties, I guess. Um, so if I go over to Benton County, I would get a Benton County plate. But if I decide I want to have Lynn County on my plate, I can go to my county treasurer and pay $5. And apparently some people do that. Uh, a lobbyist for the Auto Dealers Association told a subcommittee, most people like the county names on their plates, but they don't want another name, another county name on their plate. So if I if I live in Lynn County, I don't want a Benton County plate because you know what people think about Benton County drivers. Hmm. You know, so. <laughs> yeah, that's I, it's, I was going to say that the, the only thing that it, it takes away from me is the, the ability to even more hone in on who I'm cursing. <laughs> yeah, go go back to Vinton. What are you doing here? Uh, well, the bills are alive and well in both uh, chambers. So, um, you know, who knows? As soon as they get done uh, lowering taxes, they may uh, take on license plates. Yes. <laughs> Meanwhile... Candidates for federal office uh, filed their year-end federal election commission reports this week, and boy, are we in the wrong business. Uh, Aaron, what, if anything, stood out in these reports from U.S. House and Senate candidates? Yeah, the, uh, especially the Senate race was one I was watching for because, obviously, um, it's, it shows to what degree um, those Democratic candidates are, you know, are they? I guess the open question after the statewide reports came out a few weeks back was, are they at least doing better than the candidates for governor? Um, and the good news is for Democrats is that they are, although that was a low bar. But um, nothing terribly shocking. I mean, Abby Finkenauer is doing well. She raised uh, right around $2 million since jumping in. Um, and uh, even though he didn't get in until a little later, so that merits noting here, 
um, but Mike with Franken uh, raised around uh, uh, 750000 so he's lagging behind um, Abby Finkenauer, um, which is probably what we what might have guessed given their uh, respective histories. So it'll be interesting to see how that continues, although Franken said that he had a really strong January, so we'll see how true that is uh, in a couple months um, when he files his next report. Because that's 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 still an interesting primary to me. I mean, I I I wouldn't argue that Abby Finkenauer is the favorite, but you know, Michael Franken ran two years ago and did fairly well and finished second and, and turned enough heads that uh, I'm interested to see how much traction he gets this time around. So, um, but at the end of the day, they're both um, lagging Senator Grassley, which again wouldn't surprise a whole lot of people either, <laughs> given his uh, time in office and. And uh, fundraising connections, he's raised uh, over five million through the cycle, so he's, he's he's in a good starting position too. And the other thing about this in general is, uh, depending on how competitive it, it looks, we'll see national, you know, we'll see outside and some national spending on this race too. It won't just be the candidates um, putting their money um, on the line here. So uh, noteworthy, but nothing shocking. I think is the fastest way to say what I just prattled on about. Do you think um, that when you look at the fundraising numbers for Grassley and Abby Finkenauer, can she turn fundraising the mismatch into sort of a David versus Goliath uh, campaign theme? She, it, she could if she wanted to. I don't. I haven't heard her do that yet, uh, and maybe she eventually will. But it would fit pretty seamlessly into some of the arguments, other arguments she's making already about you know Chuck Grassley's the poster child for. Um, uh, and it, I had to stop there because it was shocking for me to describe Chuck Grassley as a, any kind of a child. Um, but, sure. <laughs> but portraying Chuck Grassley as the poster child for, you know, politicians who have been in D.C. forever, you know, part of the establishment, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so she's already kind of headed down that road in, in, in some ways. So if she wanted to tack on to, you know, hey, I'm I'm you know, the the underdog here trying to go against the, the well-connected forever senator and his deep pockets. I mean, that, that would fit pretty seamlessly into the way she's already started campaigning. Todd, when you look at those numbers uh, in the, that the Democratic candidates raised, Pinkenauer raising about $2 million last year, Franken, I think, around 750000 and Glenn Hurst somewhere around sixty six sixty seven thousand. Is, is this the primary over for all intents and purposes? I don't I don't think so. I mean, Finkenauer is obviously favored. I mean, she was she served a term in Congress and it's well known in in parts of, you know, eastern Iowa especially and uh and you know, that fundraising is is definitely an advantage. Uh you know, I, I think I think Franken's probably raised enough money to run a credible primary campaign. I mean, I think he's got enough to get out there and and do some things. Probably do some advertising. Uh, you know, if he raises more money, you know, in the, in the first quarter of this year, then I mean, that puts him in a better position. And you know, his his resume is always going to you know get people to at least you know think about him. I mean, consider him as a as a possibility because you know we we don't have a lot of uh, admirals you know, run for public office in Iowa. Uh, and he's from Northwest Iowa, which makes him sort of an interesting candidate to maybe some Democrats that think 
you know, we, we need someone that has, uh, you know, roots in kind of small town Iowa. And, uh, so yeah, I think, I think he's still a credible candidate. Finkenauer is favored. It'll be interesting to see if like the past primaries, whether there are any like national democratic groups that kind of step in and start endorsing her and fundraising for her. And, uh, I haven't seen any evidence of that yet, but that's always a possibility. And how how does the money race look in Northeast Iowa, Amy? It's favoring Ashley Hinton right now um, over Liz Mathis, um, which is no surprise. Obviously, Hinton's the incumbent. Um, uh, now, that's not to say Liz Mathis um, isn't doing well. I mean, she's she's raised you know almost a, a couple million. Um, she's she's got a, a decent amount of cash on hand. Again, it's not as much cash on hand as Ashley Hinson has. So, so right now the, the race is still, um, you know, Hinson's to lose. Um, and, and obviously, you know, Hinson can point to a larger donor network again, because she's in Congress right now. Um, so it, it's a little bit of an uphill battle. I wouldn't say it's, it's a Finkenauer Grassley uphill battle, but I think um, Mathis will still have um, her work cut out for her. Mathis got some good news this week from the Cook political report. Um, it, it shifted the race from solid Republican to likely Republican. And, and of course, the Mathis campaign seized on that and said, momentum is shifting here. So, yeah. Yeah, that, that was one of those press releases. In the, and I don't mean to be, but, it, you know, it celebrates, hey, it shifted the race in our, in our direction. And then about four or five paragraphs later, notes from solid Republican to likely Republican. They, they, they saved that little uh, detail. To let, bless them for at least putting it in there. I'll give them credit for that. Well, I, I, I thought it was strange for them to sort of look at the landscape of the district in the first place and conclude it was solid R. I mean, it just doesn't, that didn't make a lot of, that didn't make a lot of sense to me. So yeah. same reaction. I thought the same thing, Doug. But yeah, I mean, that's just think if it goes to leans R, what, what, <laughs> What sort of press release will we get then? I mean, that's going to be that's going to be champagne popping at the. Well, yeah, and you know, you know, speaking of the fundraising, that's going to be the race I think of all of them that is going to draw in the most outside money, the most super PACs and, uh, you know, nonprofit dark money, both sides probably. I mean, that's going to be because it's a big target. I mean, the Dems are trying to you know hold the house, and that's a chance to flip a seat, and that that. It's it's a district where you could possibly do that. So, and the Republicans are going to defend it, you know, heavily. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, it's going to be our TVs and video streams, and it'll be full of warnings. No place about, will be safe. Warning about <laughs> radical socialism. Yeah. Radical Republicans and radical socialists. You know, it'll, it'll yeah. be a radical election. Um, in talking to Republican campaign operatives, they uh, they tell me that the that race, I don't know if you want to call it the first district or second district or whatever, Northeast Iowa race is the only um, race that they see Democrats coming close to uh, flipping this year. So um, I guess maybe Cook is pick, Cook political report is picking up on those vibes, and and we'll watch for the leans. <laughs> Press release. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on to the only sure things in Iowa, ethanol and taxes. Uh, two of Governor Kim Reynolds' priorities got a boost in the Iowa legislature this week. Her ethanol mandate was approved by the House 8210, 
much to the delight of the biofuel industry that wants to expand the market for E15. Convenience store owners um, were among those who opposed the bill, saying it will force higher costs on them with little hope of a return on investment. Uh, Amy, does that mean that my breakfast pizza is going to cost more? <laughs> yes, I'm so sorry to tell you. Bring your own road snacks next time. <laughs> Uh, and, and a 16 year old will be rolling the dole on that. Yeah. Pizza. True. Yes. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. I didn't realize that 16 year olds couldn't roll though, but uh, it's uh, it's good that we have those safety regulations, I guess. <laughs> the the bill is now in the Senate where minority Democrats say it will go undergo significant changes. Aaron, uh, have we gotten any clues what those changes might be? Not yet, and that will be really interesting. Um, I had hoped to catch uh, Senator Zumba, who's the chairman of the Ag Committee over there, and, um, but um, he was uh, gone Thursday before I could. Um, and uh, as a reminder, it was also difficult, too, because we can't sit on the Senate floor um, and work, so just in case anybody had forgotten about that. So, uh, it, but we have heard that uh, from a couple different places. It, it's going to, so it'll be interesting to see how that is received in the Senate. It was a big priority for the governor and uh, she wanted it moving early. House Republicans moved it. It was literally the first bill passed by either chamber this session. Um, so House Republicans, uh, you know, upheld their end of, of the of any bargain <laughs> they might have had with the governor. Uh, and so now it's um, on the Senate who's been laser focused on their tax bill um, they moved that out of committee, and I, I would assume we'll debate and vote on that on the floor next week. Um, but now here's this ethanol bill, and, and yeah, are they going to accept it? Are they going to overhaul it? Which is what Senator Zach Walls told us, uh, Democratic Senator, I should note, Zach Walls told us he had heard um, was going to happen. Um, I, I, I unfortunately at this point don't have any details beyond that, so it, it's, it's going to be interesting next week to see what happens with that bill. We heard a lot of love for those GOP uh, House and Senate tax plans this week when they had subcommittee meetings that overlapped, um, which kept the lobbyists running back and forth around the Capitol. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they got their steps in. <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs> but, Aaron, there were some suggestions on how to improve the tax relief. What more can they do? <laughs> well, it depends on the perspective. So uh, what you heard uh, was interesting um, that the House um, doesn't have the corporate tax cuts or the environmental funding mechanism. And so folks in the House heard on both of those fronts from people saying, hey, you know, you really should try out uh, this in there, too. Um, so there's pushes for the House to more match the Senate bill. Um which is interesting because at the end of the day, the houses, House and governor are most, more closely aligned um, on those tax bills uh, other than not having that corporate tax cut. So those are the two elements that are, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Um, Senate Republicans, when they, when they passed theirs out of committee, they made clear, pretty clear, Senator Dan Dawson, who's been leading that, made pretty clear that they feel strongly about a lot of the pieces of their bill and aren't ready to give up on them in negotiations uh, when those start um, here. Uh, so, so it'll be interesting to see how, you know, how far they want to dig their heels in on 
that that corporate element, the the the, the I will funding, the the phase out of the income tax is something that they have that others don't. So those that'll be interesting negotiations that we'll be uh, not be a part of and not have any access to, and we'll all find out <laughs> together at some point in a couple of weeks, hopefully a couple of weeks. Hey, Aaron, I, I, I would I would assume now that the the governor has lift is lifting the uh, public health emergency that you'll you guys will be brought back down to the floor of the Senate chamber <laughs> since that was a COVID related related measure we were told. Uh, yeah, by by some that that that's the other problem is the mixed messaging. Some said it was COVID and others said it was uh, defying yeah. the media. So I guess it depends on on who you believe. They'll figure out. They'll figure out some argument again. So, and, and, and quickly here, Aaron, Democrats have offered their own tax plan, um, which probably won't get a subcommittee or committee action. <laughs> oh. But uh, how drastically different is their plan from what Republicans are proposing? I mean, pretty drastically. Obviously, um, what they say, and they, and they're not going to introduce a bill. They're just going to fire them up as amendments when each chamber debates their bills on the, the Republicans bring their bills to the floor. Democrats have proposed doubling the earned income tax credit, which is beneficiary to low-income workers, and then the child care tax credit, which is obviously uh, for families. Um, they, they also said that they're going to propose reducing some rates around the middle-income workers, but they haven't released the details of those yet. So everybody sit down for this so you're, so you're ready for the surprise. But when I asked Republican Speaker Pat Grassley if they would entertain any of those, add them to their bills, he he essentially said that, uh, no, we like what we have in ours and we're going to stay focused on that. So mm, um, interesting. So so I'm, I'm, I'm sorry to shock you all with the, the, the report that the Republicans won't be accepting the Democratic amendment. We're going to tack this right up on the fridge here so everyone can see it. <laughs> The argument that Democrats often make in these tax debates is, well, your tax plans only benefit the higher income workers and Republicans can push back on that if they like. Well, I mean, if they push a tax plan that cuts the top rate in half, which theirs will do from eight and a half to four, but then reject uh, an amendment to provide more tax relief to lower income workers, then, then, then that argument has a lot of merit to it. Will that matter to anyone outside the Capitol? Uh, that's I don't know, but but the, it, you know that argument will hold more weight um, if that proceeds as we would expect it will. I, I think the best line I heard this week was uh, talking to Lee Hine, the chairman of the Ways and Means Committee, uh, and I was talking to him about the the tax plan. And this was um, early in the week when the temperatures were um, at least human. Uh, and he said, you know, we're getting pretty close to adjournment because the temperature's warming up and we're talking about taxes. <laughs> so he's the one to blame for it dropping back below zero again the, the next day after? He uh, I don't know, I, but I don't think we're close to adjournment anymore. Yeah. <laughs> and finally, uh, um, from the same folks who said remote schools shortchanged Iowa kids, comes a proposal to live stream every class every day to, quote, to showcase the great work our teachers do and continue the parent involvement that it has begun since COVID. Uh, Representative Norlin Momsen proposed installing cameras in every classroom to provide parents with the ability to access live footage of the camera connected to the classroom. 
I don't know about anyone else, but I got enough of that when I was in school that I really don't want to spend my days watching other people going to school. Todd, Aaron, you have kids in school. Is this going to change your daytime schedule so you can watch class all day? Probably not. I mean, <laughs> considering that, you know, when my daughter gets home from school most days, I ask her what happened and she says not much. So I don't know if I need to, to sit there and watch <laughs> not much all day. We, we all know what this is about. This is all about the line that you know, the sinister agenda of educators and all these things. So now we can watch a live stream of them to make sure they're teaching both sides of slavery or whatever is the thing that they're supposed to do. I, you know, this is this would be okay with me if, if they would take a, you know, a sense amendment that would also require lawmakers to wear body cameras that we could watch all day long as they as they meet with uh, lobbyists and, and in their negotiations and all those things. Now, I think that would be a lot more interesting viewing, and it would showcase the great work being done by our state legislators. So yeah. maybe maybe they can work on that too, and just kind of a a camera omnibus bill of some sort. I I gotta say I'm I'm a little concerned about how this would work with another bill they're uh, working on about obscene materials, and whether these videos could be considered obscene, because according to the uh, testimony of someone who came to, um, a gentleman from the public who came to testify on one of the bills this week, uh, apparently there are kids masturbating in class, public education classrooms all across the state. So if you're going to have a camera showing this, I mean, that, that to me is obscene material, and now we've got two laws crossing together. So I'm very concerned about how those will work. Well, yeah, that was my question. Is this going to be like Facebook Live so I can, you know, be commenting on it as, you know, uh, t correcting the teacher's mistakes and narking on the yes. kids that are sleeping? Uh, you know, I mean, if you really want parental involvement, uh, you know, and this would also help with, you know, because they have a shortage of paraeducators and classroom aides and people like that. So, the, you know, this, uh, I guess it has a workforce component to it, which yeah. is the key, the key this year to getting anything done. Uh, in, in fact, uh, you know, Representative Mike Sexton has offered his uh, daylight saving time bill again for about the fourth time. And I asked him, I said, can you can you, you know, make this a workforce issue that if we have daylight saving time year round, more people will come to Iowa and want to live here and work here. He seemed to think that was a stretch. But, uh, you know, I, I, you got to think big. You got to think big. Um, the other thing that strikes me is, is, you know, the camera in the classroom is coming from a guy who is worried about somebody filming what goes on at his farm and wants, mm. you know, laws to protect him from yeah. somebody serotypically, well, I can't even say that, but uh, secretly <laughs> filming what, what he's doing at his farm. So I think maybe cameras for to, thee, but not for me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. we, yes. <laughs> Right. Cameras in the combine, you know, to showcase the great work of our farmers and to build that farm-to-table connection between Iowans that produce our food and those of us who eat the food. There'll be lots of amendments on that bill, I think. Mm. <laughs> and uh, we would be amiss if we didn't mention that the Olympics are beginning today. They're underway. Uh, the U.S. is conducting a diplomatic boycott by not sending officials to, to China. Some people have called for the games to be canceled, and if not, U.S. athletes shouldn't compete. What about armchair athletes? Should we boycott watching the Olympics? 
I think I'm, I'm going to boycott watching curling and biathlon and Nordic combined. <laughs> Anybody else uh, doing a watching? Which one's the boycott? Nordic combined? What's that one? Isn't that the that's one where the they, they cross country ski? Yeah, and fire yeah. rifles that at targets. The biathlon. That's, that's biathlon. The, the oh, okay. Is, uh, okay. I think it involves uh, cross country skiing too. It's, yeah. Yeah. yeah, you're right. That yeah. one's kind of just a workout. Yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, All right. I'm only there for the ice dancing. So that's okay. you know, my, that's my yes. thing. And There's hockey. There's an Iowan and ice hockey. skater. So we yeah. can cheer yeah. for the Rapids. Iowan ice skater. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So hockey and ice dancing, which I've always thought should be combined into one into one sport, which would be so really Tanya Hardy. But. <laughs> yeah, right. See? Well, that's it for this edition of On Iowa Politics. If you enjoy the podcast, tell your friends and subscribe to us wherever you find your podcast. Stay up to date on the Iowa Legislature by subscribing to the Capital Digest newsletter under the Iowa Legislature tab at thegazette.com. Fan mail may be sent to podcast at thegazette.com. Don't forget, the work of everyone you heard here today can be found on the pages and websites of the Quad City Times, Waterloo, Cedar Falls Courier, Sioux City Journal, Mason City Globe Gazette, Muscatine Journal, Council Bluff, Daily Nonpareil, and the Cedar Rapids Gazette. New Trick will take us out. If you know an Iowa band or musician should be on our show, send us a sound file and subscribe to On Iowa Politics. For Amy, Aaron, Todd, Tom, and our producer, Stephen, I'm James Lynch. Thanks for listening. Be well. She doesn't own a dress. Her hair is always a mess. She catches stealing, she won't confess. She thinks that I'm beautiful. She smokes a pack a day, no way that's me, but anyway, she don't care a thing about that, hey, she thinks I'm beautiful, me Virginia. She never compromises, she loves babies and surprises, wear high heels when she exercises, ain't that beautiful, me Virginia, I can't wait to me, Virginia. Alligators, mama works on carburetors, brother is a fine media for the president. Well, here she is again on the phone, just like we to be alone. We just like to sit at home and rip on the president. Meet Virginia. I can't wait to meet Virginia. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
She only drinks coffee at midnight when the moment is not right. And her timing is quite unusual. You see, her confidence is tragic and her intuition magic. The shape of her body, unusual. Meet Virginia. I can't wait to meet Virginia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get a daily update from the Gazette with our daily news podcast. Add it to your podcast player or your Alexa-friendly device to get a bite-sized local news update each day. Check it out at thegazette.com slash podcasts.